Welcome back to a speed testing version of DSLRFilmNoob.com's world famous podcast. I've got Mitch with me today for another great show. We're both battling internet issues this morning and arguing about what the best way to check your speed is. Mitch, uh, you had a recommendation for me. You're going to lay it on me. Tell me. What do you got? Well, I, yeah, I was. we were talking about it uh, pre-show, and uh, and it's great to be here, by the way. Thanks for having a world-famous broadcast. <laughs> she, she manages to always find a place to bug me. So here, she's live on TV. There she is. Uh, Mitch's cat has oh, been wreaking havoc uh, on his microphone. Um, so anyway, I thought, well, we're going to talk about, uh, exciting new things today, right? And before the show, I was going to test my speed of my internet connection. And, and just the other day, I discovered that Netflix has a new thing called fast.com. And here you and I are chit-chatting and you go, well, if you go to Netflix or fast.com, you could I'm like, damn, I thought I was going to tell you something new because it just came out, but no. You taught me something new. Uh, the other one, and actually, I was telling Mitch about this before the show. Um, if you use speedtest.net, uh, a lot of ISPs will detect for that and give you the best bandwidth results possible. So a better one to use is actually speedof.me. Uh, they are not optimized for any particular ISP, and no one's really looking for them. It's a small site. So it'll give you a little bit more accurate readings of what your bandwidth is available. And, of course, as Mitch mentioned, fast.com. Uh, is provided by Netflix and will tell you fairly accurately uh, and with comparable results to speedof.me what your internet bandwidth is. So if you're doing a show like this, yeah. What's that? What amazes me, if you go to speedtest.net or even now that I've learned about speedofme.me, which is giving me actually 145 down, which I've never seen, speedtest.net, typically pegs out at 130. Uh, so this is actually showing me a little bit higher speed. Wow. Uh, wait. Uh, the thing I really like about fast.com, which apparently Netflix, Netflix, uh, is it going to be one of those days? Netflix paid a lot of money to get fast.com recently. Um, but anyway, it doesn't show you your upload speed. It only shows you the down speed. And it calculates it in like, five seconds as opposed to the other ones that typically take 15, 30 seconds to download something. It's extremely fast, actually, if you watch this roll. Uh, it's like watching grass grow, guys, but uh, <laughs> it's also... Kinda, faster than the others, man. Yeah, that's actually pretty decent. Um, all right, that's enough internet speed checking. We could dive into that rat hole and, and bore the heck out of everybody. Yeah, I got day. a question for you. All right, shoot. Are you are you going to uh, nah, uh, the God, why am I? Okay, let's start the show over. Oh man, welcome back to another episode. I've got Mitch with me today, and uh, he was about to ask a question about something. Uh, City Gear. Are you going to City Gear next week? I don't think so. Um, I'm I'm about to head off to uh, Peru at the middle oh. of next month, so. I think I'm going to avoid any more travel until I, I do that. I'm going to be up at uh, Machu Picchu and, and in Lima for the Volcano oh, Festival. 
for the what festival? Volcano festival? Yeah, there's some kind of volcano festival. Um, I'll be shooting a few things there and uh, managed to rope it into a wife and myself vacation. So kind of nice. It's a little change of scenery. Taking the dog too? No, uh, customs. Customs for the dogs are, are rough. You got to get them vaccinated. In fact, um, I had to have, uh, uh, I think it's Zika, the stuff that makes your, your head shrink or something like that. It, uh, I had to go get shots for that, malaria, yellow fever, a bunch of stuff to travel to Peru. So um, make sure you check with your vaccination clinics before you go over to another country because uh, some of the South American countries require quite a few vaccinations. Let me tell you, I've still got a a little jar full of something I need to take for two weeks in order to vaccinate me against whatever. And I haven't done it yet. So I really probably should get on that. Yeah, you should. You want to be up with your shots. You don't get your head shrinkage. (laughs) All right. On that note, guys, that's enough rambling. Let's move on to the news. Time for the news. First thing is yet another action camera, but this time it's a little bit more exciting. Uh, The company that has been making sort of cheap Chinese knockoffs of GoPro has upped their game to something that's actually pretty interesting. Uh, This is the YIMe 4K camera, and it's the size of a GoPro. It has a screen built in that looks actually decent compared to uh, many of GoPro's offerings, including their horrific backpack. And the biggest deal about this is not just the specs, but also the fact that it is offering it out at a price of $249 for the pre-order. That is a crazy low price. It is a very sexy camera. And one thing I wanted to show you guys and show Mitch as well, I always talk about the company that makes the innards for the GoPro. And if you're not familiar with it, I've got the site right here. We'll click on it and you can take a look. You can actually go to their site and see the sports camera section and you can see what is going out in their latest SOC. That's a system on a chip, if you're not familiar with that term. And you can find out what specs will be in the next set of action cameras. These guys are going to pretty much the same company that GoPro gets their innards from and creating a camera that is half the price. Now, we've talked about GoPro being in turmoil for a while, Mitch. What do you think this will do to the company? It's already shed, what, 20% of its staff? Are we going to see another 20% dive in GoPro stock value? Uh, I don't know. It's it's certainly very intriguing what's going on in the different markets. And we're going to talk about another company later on in the show, which is having lots of difficulties. Uh, so I found it interesting because I had not seen this before. Uh, marketing is always interesting, right? Absolutely. And And... How they market things. So I was, I'm looking at the page from this Yi technology. I don't know. Is it YI? I say YI simply because I have no idea what the proper pronunciation is. I mean, <laughs> Yi, we, you, uh, I don't know. Uh, YI is easier. It's probably wrong. Seven layers of optical glass lenses. Now, what, that's the third bullet on their their order page. Uh, why do they think that – What if they put 30 lenses in there, would that make it more sexy? Uh, I mean, isn't the goal in lensing to have fewer elements uh, uh, typically? I, don't, I, mean, I think I don't... this might be an example of uh, a loss in translation where the company being from another market doesn't know – 
really how to jump into the American market as much. So they just copy and paste any kind of specs that they could possibly find into their list. Uh, in fact, if you look at their page on the pre-order page, I mean, as opposed to giving us nice bullet points, what do we get? We get this. We get a whole list of items, you know, that it's like, okay, I guess that's useful, sort of. But uh, not really. I really actually had to read through these to find out what the camera was about. Uh, one of the things that's really cool about this camera is the pr- I mean, actually, the most important thing about this is the price. Like, it, it has everything you'd see in a GoPro, has a better screen on the back, it has uh, Wi-Fi enabled uh, even 5 gigahertz as well as 2.4 gigahertz. So you have uh, fast data transfer to your phone. Uh, supposedly, it has uh, two antennas in it, so it's capable of triangulating and reducing interference. This thing also packs a better battery two hours of operating life as opposed to the atrocious one hour you get out of a gopro and it's 249 i mean what's the hero black edition run i think it's 500 bucks 499 something like that even on fire sale it's 400 dollars. so almost half the price and as many or more features than the top of the line gopro and well you mentioned marketing mitch i mean what is gopro's marketing strategy it's lifestyle isn't it yes very true so i mean would you trade your lifestyle choice out for a camera that does as good or better for half the price well let me ask you a question because i'm i'm really really not up on gopro stuff don't they have some fancy schmancy software that you get with the gopro to do editing and stuff like that or am i making something uh gopro does offer up a a cineform uh backend for their cameras but uh, to describe it as fancy would be uh, doing it way too much justice. It is, it is uh, very, very simplistic in its nature. Um, you'd almost be better off going with a copy of uh, Cool Edit Pro, you know, as opposed to uh, that mess. It's not very good. Um, you can transcode stuff. So if you're shooting in uh, flat image style on the Hero 4 Black Edition, you can. Uh, better grade it by shooting as a flat image and getting it out but uh otherwise the software itself for editing is almost useless uh if you want to do any kind of editing at all it's not very good uh the other thing that this has that the gopro 4 black edition does not have is internal five axis image stabilization it is digital image stabilization but if you watch some of the videos i've linked to in the show notes it's very impressive uh able to really stabilize the screen now i'm assuming they're doing a crop on that screen so they're bringing in uh, maybe a 1080p image and stabilizing it there so it's digital but that's another feature that the gopro does not have and the gopro black edition runs on pretty much the same chipset (laughs) so i mean it's like what i don't know Uh, anyway, uh, I, th- I, gotta, I think this spells demise for GoPro in general, don't you? Well, yeah, we've talked about them going down the dumper for quite a while, and, and they've got some, some work to do. Uh, <clears throat> so I, before we go off of that, it, I, I love reading this marketing material because it says, I could, and, and that's one of the reasons why I asked you the question about the GoPro software, uh, it says, Six to 30 seconds of video editing, image filters, music options uh, in their YI Action Camera app. Easy to use, 
professional quality. You'll never have to use your computer again to edit. <laughs> okay, so never use your computer again to edit your video. That's some marketing right there, boy. $249. I will tell you that I know a few younger people born in the 90s that refuse to have a computer. They absolutely refuse to have a computer. I work with them. They're technologically savvy, and they try to get every possible thing done on their cell phone or their tablet. And a couple of them have achieved that, and video editing was like kind of the last straw in that uh, that problem. And now with stuff like this, and there's actually a couple of video editors available for your smartphone. Yeah. They're not very good. But if you just need to like cut a couple clips together, they've sort of solved that problem as well. And one of the things about uh, this particular company and their uh, GoPro clone is that at first when their app came out, it was mostly in Chinese and no one could use it in the United States. <laughs> but uh, they've ramped up and gotten really good support. And uh, a lot of people uh, are really happy with their app now and the English version. They've, they've kind of come in their own with their older models of these cameras. And this is like the culmination of them creating $99 and $49 cameras previously. So, I mean, I guess if you want to edit on your cell phone, more power to you. I'm not going to do it. Well, I actually have done that, um, and it's not too bad, at least with the iPhone, uh, which comes with iMovie. Yeah. There was there was a little quick thing that I wanted to do uh, for Planet 5D, and I recorded it with my phone, and I edited it on my phone, and it wasn't that bad. Really? Uh, they're not, I mean, it's not fancy. It's not like I, you know, I could put, I could, if I wanted to download a bumper to my phone and have a bumper and a trailer if I really wanted to, but for something quick, it wasn't that bad. How but fast it, is it for yeah. rendering though, Mitch? Like if you, if you actually cut something together and you tried to kick it out in whatever format to get it to YouTube, does it take like 10 minutes or something to, to render or does it render fast? It's, it's pretty daggum fast. Really? And I mean, I think it sent it up to YouTube as 720, but again, I'm not after cinematic uh, quality here. I was just doing a report on a particular product that I'd just gotten. So it was it was easy enough to edit and upload that I didn't have to take it to my computer and do all that extra work. I liked that aspect of it. And again, it depends. You're obviously not going to make a horror film on your phone. <laughs> With any kind of simple tools, I mean, you can. There are big people that have done it, but why kill yourself? I mean, just take it up to your computer and do it the easy way with your joystick controller like we talked about last. <laughs> that was actually pretty sweet. Uh, if you didn't see last week's episode, guys, uh, check out that joystick controller. That, that was a great hack to, to edit with. Uh, I'm not going to do it, but I liked it. All right. <laughs> While we're still on the action camera section, let's move on uh, to this LensBaby uh, Kickstarter, which is kind of strange to me. LensBaby is a company that's been around for quite some time, has a lot of, of really good, interesting lens products that you can attach to your camera to make some very interesting shots. But what's more interesting to me is that they're releasing this GoPro circular 180-degree lens. As opposed to releasing it as normal, they're doing this via a Kickstarter. So a company that's already basically established is uh, is going out and instead sort of drumming up 
uh, interest and enthusiasm for a new product in their lineup uh, via a Kickstarter. And the lens itself looks pretty cool. I mean, you can see that it's a very uh, specific effect that you may or may not want uh, for something. I, I can see this practically as maybe a uh, somebody looking through the eye hole of a door or something like that, but uh, not something I would use a ton of. But Mitch, what do you think about them releasing a product via Kickstarter as opposed to simply releasing a product? Uh, I know several companies that have been doing that because it, uh, if you want to call it R&D, research and development, uh, it does cost you money to v- develop new products. Now, I don't know how much it necessarily really helps because in this particular situation, they've already, my tongue is just not going to work today. They already have a prototype. So, I mean, there is additional work that needs to go from doing a prototype to full development. Uh, and And if you can get the funding as opposed to trying to fund it all yourself, why not try it? I think the question for me, though, is, uh, you know, they they have this already made. They basically it looks sort of like it's something off of their previous lineup. And Kickstarter is sort of this place for, or I always thought of it as a place for uh, entrepreneurs who are brand new trying to yeah. come out with something. Now, if it's all established companies making, you know, smaller lines of products, does that push uh-huh. all of us little guys out of the market? It, it makes it for an interesting market. One of, the, one of the companies that's been very good at that, I don't know if you're that familiar with them, but Peak Design. No, the, I'm not. Tripod? They have, well, they have clips and uh, camera straps and camera bags now. Uh, they started on Kickstarter with their very first um, product, I think it was called The Clip, which I actually have one or two of over in the corner. Works really well. Um, but they, that's the way they started, was on Kickstarter. And now every new product that they come up with, they go out back out to their Kickstarter and say, hey, we've got another idea. What do you guys think? Because they're actually sort of using it as a, a kind of a test bed to see whether or not the market's willing to pay for something, which is, you know, if it, if it were to fail, for example, if people, if they couldn't get enough people interested in the product, then they would go, why would I make it in the first place? Yeah, so it's true. taking some of the risk out of it. Uh, another one, I don't know if you remember um, Aviator Camera Gear. Yeah, those the, guys are great. Um, uh, they actually live fairly close to me in Bend, Oregon. Uh, you know, yes, well, so you know Zeke. Well, yeah, he yeah. has several projects on Kickstarter. So he did the initial one, and then he did one or two after that. So it, it, I think it's... It's a significant way for smaller companies to figure out whether or not a product's going to work. And if it does get funded, then they've got the money to go build it. Hmm. So does it squeeze you out? No, I don't think so. But it's, it seems kind of, I don't know, it just seems a little weird to me that uh, f- fully baked products from companies that have the budget and resources to uh, simply release their items are going straight to Kickstarter. And I don't see, like, uh, the the Lens Baby offering, it doesn't look as though it's going to be a huge moneymaker for them going to Kickstarter. In fact, they have to pay the fees and everything else that go along with that. So to me, it almost feels more like a 
advertising campaign as opposed to a Kickstarter program. And maybe I'm seeing this wrong, but that's what it looks like is like, well, you could do this by yourself, but instead you choose to do it with this crowdfunding sort of thing. So you can get groundswell for people to love your products and hear your name everywhere. <laughs> what, and is that wrong? If it works, uh, I guess that in terms of what you're saying is that it potentially could squeeze out other people. Or you just get beat over the head with so many Kickstarters that you stop caring and then that entire platform people, dies off. Yeah, I think I think you're very accurate in that potential assessment because there are so many Kickstarter things, uh, it's kind of becoming a yawner for me. And, you know, we've talked about, of course, the the risk and and maybe that's part of what makes Kickstarter good. I mean, if you look at Peak Design or Zeke or somebody that has a reputation, wouldn't you be more willing to invest your money in their products because you know they've got a company as opposed to uh, Mitch, Planet Mitch, who comes out and says, oh, I've got this great new widget. Wouldn't you want to buy it? Speaking of which, did you see that uh, Kickstarter that uh, refunded $1.5 million for the space selfie camera? No. Uh, so the idea there was that you could send a picture to a satellite and it would take the picture and put it in frame with the camera and then the earth behind it. And for $25 a pop, it would send you the digital file back of that picture and you would be able to have a selfie of you next to the earth uh, via a satellite link. Um, they raised like... I want to say $1.5 million. It might be more. And uh, then there wasn't enough interest in launching the satellite to get it going. So they ended up refunding everybody's money. But uh, stuff like that, you're like, I don't know. I mean, how many times yeah. does that happen? And I wish there was some way to track how many Kickstarters get funded and don't produce anything or uh, create something that's basically garbage. And speaking of garbage, Mitch, have you ever uh -oh. seen this Right here, this is the Tumblr. Your Kickstarter sucks. And, no. you know, here's somebody making a Bernie Sanders doll, or uh, here's somebody developing toothpaste. Um, it's just, there's a lot of like good jokes in here. <laughs> Great. Yeah, so if you, if you want to. You want to oh. kill a couple hours of, <laughs> of time uh, checking out some pretty horrific Kickstarter projects. It's a, it's a fun, fun time. All right, <laughs> moving on to other things that have failed or may soon fail. Let's talk about Nikon because uh, I didn't know this until Mitch started uh, uh, adding more and more to the show notes. They're laying off uh, folks left and right. The Sweden office is closing. Tell me more about Nikon falling into disrepair. Do I know a lot of the details? The answer is no. What I'm reading, though, is that Nikon is uh, having some serious financial issues, uh, closing offices, killing off rebates that were currently in place, which uh, makes it really difficult for the salesman to sell uh, because other rebates are still in place. And, and even some of the... Uh, kickbacks which isn't the right politically correct word but you know if if you get a if you're a salesman and you get a commission for selling a nikon and suddenly they take away that commission then what are you going to do you're going to go sell sigma or canon or somebody else that's still paying that commission uh, you and i talked uh either last week or the week before about 
Nikon pulling out of NAB. Yeah. And this all makes sense to me now that they're having such financial trouble that they've they've basically given up on on courting any kind of professional filmmakers, which we talked about. Uh, if they're having such financial trouble, they've got to focus on what they're really good at, and that's uh, DSLR cameras and lenses, uh, and and quit trying to be a filmmaker kind of uh, company. Quit trying to chase after Canon with the whole. Yeah. DSLR they revolution. Failed. They failed miserably oh, the whole whole way along. Well, they had the opportunity to do really well. The I think it was the D90 yeah. was the first one of the first cameras to be able to shoot video. And then they just they sort of folded up shop and didn't really do a good job after that. It's like what's going on here? What's really sad though is the D500 and the D5 are both fantastic offerings. I mean, have you seen the burst mode on the D500? It's, no, I haven't seen the D500, but it's, it's I know like, it, it's a chainsaw, man. That thing is amazing. Ah. I, it just goes and goes and goes, and autofocus is from corner to corner. Uh, it's fast. It's I mean, it's a really great camera. You know, it got me excited about Nikon again, just playing around with the D500, uh, and it's very affordable too. It's I would argue that it's better than most of Canon's offerings in that same price range. And then Nikon's doing bad. Like wh- what? Really? Uh, yeah, it's kind of scary, isn't it? Um, I mean, we we've talked about the DSLR market dropping a significant amount, and and maybe they're just really bad at planning. I don't know. Uh, it's it's hard to totally know what's going on, but their uh, their their quarterly reports are not looking good. They're they're forecasting downturns in DSLR sales and they're laying off people and cutting offices and doing all kinds of other stuff. So it's looking kind of scary. I don't know whether they're, you know, bankruptcy is always looming (laughs) for some of these people. I don't know whether they're going in that particular direction, but. Well, there were rumors of uh, Samsung possibly picking up Nikon at some point. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, that would be a good financial boost for Nikon. Uh, do you think something like this will create a, a scrappier Nikon that will uh, get ahead of Canon in the same manner as we've seen Panasonic and uh, even uh, uh, Samsung do over the last couple of years in Sony? I, th- I think it would certainly help if, uh, you know, uh, tightening of the belt can be very good in terms of some of the major corporations. Uh, if if you can trim in the right areas, and that's always the the question, because I mean, if you end up getting rid of your really good people and you end up keeping the bad ones, which is what happens in some major corporations, uh, <laughs> you 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 know you end up just flat out going down the dumper. But if you can get somebody in there that can make the right decisions and choose the right direction, I mean, you go back and look at Steve Jobs when he came back to Apple and. He laid off all kinds of people and, and set up a firm direction that's turned them into what they are today. Uh, that was a great turnaround story. Whether or not Nikon can do that, I don't know. Mm. I sure hope they do because, like you say, they make some great products. Well, and, they have 
fabulous lenses. They, uh, they make great DSLRs. Absolutely. Like uh, one of the things as a Canon shooter, you're always a little bit jealous of is the quality of glass from Nikon. I mean, the L-series lenses from Canon, are they're good. They're very good. But uh, you, you see some of the the uh, image results from Nikon glass and their top-of-the-line gold ring, whatever flavor they call it. It's it's gorgeous. I, I mean, it's, it's just that much better than Canon by enough of a margin that sometimes you long to, to jump over to the Nikon side of things. For video, that doesn't really affect me personally, but... Uh, uh, for stills photographers, uh, Nikon has some amazing stuff and low light performance to beat the band. The D4 yep. was always really good. Uh, it, well before Canon managed to, uh, up its game to where it could actually sort of compete with, uh, the higher end Nikon cameras. Sony's done a great job, but, uh, their lens selection, again, not nearly as good as Nikon. Uh, Nikon has always had amazing glass and, and high quality products. I mean, there's, there's. If you if you look at Sony, for example, they have some issues with their uh, quality, right? I mean, it's it's good. Hello, Sony it, sunspots. Uh, and so Nikon's got a great reputation. If I were a multi billionaire and looking for a company to turn around, maybe that would be a good one because their their quality's always been top notch, uh, and. So I don't know. It's it's just it's sad. It's scary to me to see us if if they were to to go down the dumper. You know that's a a major manufacturer to to lose in our market. We need the competition. We need the ability to have choices. Well, I fear that that would encourage Canon to simply sit on their laurels and not do anything without Nikon as their major competitor. That yeah. would that would really stagnate the market. It'd uh, it'd be a bad thing. Now, speaking of uh, old products and things that need to be updated, let's uh, move on to something a little happier, Mitch, because this is this is depressing me uh, talking about all this Nikon failure. I'm not a Nikon user, but I don't want to see any camera brands go away. Let's talk about this Sigma lens, though. The art series of lenses have basically filled up the prime and zoom range in Sigma's lineup, and they're all really fantastic lenses for the price, around $1,000 a pop as opposed to twelve dollars to $1,800 for Canon equivalents. Uh, the only lens that has really been missing from this lineup is a refresh of the 85mm f1.4. And of course, if you're familiar with Canon's offerings, they do not have an f1485 they have the 18 and the 12 12 being fly by wire and a ginormous piece and <laughs> the f18 being much better at af but lacking the wider aperture now it looks like at photokino we may be seeing an update to this and a discontinuation of the original 60 or 85 millimeter f14 mitch you're an 85-1.2 owner. Would a, a cheaper piece of glass be something you would recommend as opposed to that monstrosity? Well, let's, let's, I'm sorry. Somewhere along the line, I have a 1.8. I don't have the 1.2. Oh, I, I always assumed you had the 1.2. Well, I wish I had the 1.2, but, um, which, which is interesting because I'm, I'm in the market for uh, lenses at this time. So I'm really curious to see where things go because i've i've got to expand my lens uh category right. yeah uh i will tell you that uh, the original 85 millimeter f14 from sigma was prone to some af issues and they've done 
very good about fixing all of that in their art series lenses. Uh, the refresh of the 50 millimeter F 1.4, as well as their 20 millimeter, their 24 millimeter, I think they, their 35 millimeter, they might even have a 28 in there. Uh, all of those have got very good AF compared to the previous generation of Sigma lenses and the design and build is much better. Uh, the 85, that's what I was kind of hoping they would refresh because I owned the 85 1.2 from Canon for quite some time. And it is as slow as molasses for yeah. AF. And yep. you always run that fear of bumping the back element. Because if, if you've ever held the 85-1-2 in your hand and you look at the back of it, the, the glass actually goes right up to flush with the back of the mount. So if you're putting it on the camera and you have shaky hands, you could give yourself some nice divots in your $1,800 piece of glass. Uh, it's fly-by-wire, so if you're changing over to something that's manual uh, focus or manual control, you're out of luck. And of course, uh, because it's uh, all motor driven, it is very, very cumbersome uh, to, to focus on. I'd say maybe 40 to 60% accuracy at, at best. It's beautiful glass, but it's irritating. The yeah. F1.8 that you have is much faster and more enjoyable to use, but it's F1.8. Right. And you want a little bit yeah. more, right? Yeah, I, I do. I, I really do. I have used the 1.2 on several occasions and and for portraits and and people photos. And it's just, it's, image quality is astounding. Uh, but the focus is uh, scary, which is one of the reasons why I've never purchased the daggum thing, because I, I if I'm going to shoot something, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to miss focus on things. Well, and oh, or you just shoot 500 images and pray 200 of them show up, right? Believe it or not, the original 85.1.2 was even worse at AF than the Mark II version. And the Mark II version, I would say, is awful. So imagine <laughs> what you're getting out of the Ouch. original. Ouch. What a paperweight. The originals on the used market, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, you can if you go search eBay the original eighty five one two, you can find uh, for around nine hundred to twelve hundred dollars, and I think it was close to two thousand dollars when it first was released. Uh, so, if you're just looking for one of those to play around with, the original is fairly affordable on eBay. Uh, another gem out there that I don't know if many of you are familiar with, but the fifty millimeter f one zero is freaking crazy lens that uh i don't think you're gonna most people can't afford to buy it i think uh, the used price because it hasn't been manufactured since 1995 is uh available for about six to eight thousand dollars on ebay if you can find one but for i I think four hundred dollars you can rent one for three or four days from uh, lensrental.com not a sponsor but uh it's amazing that they have the 50 millimeter f10 and you want to talk about a slow focusing monstrosity that's also soft wide open and has some other very interesting issues f10 on a canon body full frame is a really interesting and fun thing to shoot on i've only been able to play with it once but uh i'm glad i did that's cool now back to the 8514 mitch what price would make you buy this um well, I see the current one is listed for $869 on Prime, which is an appealing price. 
with I mean that's I think I think I paid eight eight hundred and I bought that price for the Canon one point eight. Really? I thought the one point eight was around four hundred bucks. Uh, okay. Well, I <laughs> it's Friday, DJ. <laughs> I don't know my butt from a hole in the ground today. All right. Well, I will tell you that the used price of the eighty five one four from Sigma for the original, uh, you can find it for as low as five hundred dollars pretty easily uh, across okay. the board. You're yeah. right. Three hundred and forty nine bucks. Yeah, so the uh, the Canon eighty five one eight pricing, yeah, four hundred dollars ish is what I I recall. Um, I don't know. I'm like I like Sigma. I'm really excited about the Sigma art lenses. I haven't gotten rid of any of my Canon glass to replace it with Sigma, but the eighty five is that one lens that kind of sits in my collection. I I have the eighty five one eight. I use it. It's it's good, but I wouldn't mind going to f one four. Uh, simply to drop out backgrounds to you know beautiful bokeh all those things and for me if it's under a thousand dollars i would probably sell my 8518 and pick up a sigma art 85 just to replace that and canon's never really offered an f14 at 85 nikon has done that for years and it's sort of frustrating what, okay, uh, two questions for you. What difference does it really make between a 1.2 and a 1.4? And if you were going to buy, if you were in the market for the Sigma, would you would you wait for the art one? Was it Would it be that much better? I'm going to start with the second question first because you know the answer to the first one. Uh, the second question, uh, is the art worth it? Yes, I would say definitely. Um, if you need autofocus, which is... Part of the reason we were just complaining about the 8512, <laughs> the 8514 original from Sigma was a little shifty. Uh, like I said, 60 percent ish uh, to 80 percent ish uh, actual shots captured, and then maybe 20 to 40 percent uh, out of focus. And it was really all over the board. If you tested three of them, you could get three different sets of results out of those. So you might get lucky and get a really good. 8514 from Sigma, or you might get unlucky and get one of the ones that is closer to the bottom of the scale. Uh, that lens itself refreshed with the art version, you'll get the USB capabilities where you can program it specifically to your camera body if you have any kind of micro adjust issues. Uh, AF from all the art series lenses has been far superior to the original uh uh, lenses so like the 50 millimeter f14 original sigma lens had the huge issues in af and now the art 514 is much much better as far as the difference between f14 and f18 goes no i mean i said f12 and 14 oh f12 and 14 i mean yeah. i will tell you that i own a 50 millimeter f12 and a 50 millimeter f14 and the difference is that one has the number that makes it look really sexy to you. <laughs> there's no major, major difference between those well, two. So that's why I was wondering because you were you were sort of saying, well, Canon's never offered a 1.4, but but yet the 8512 is legendary, right? That's so true. So why would they go to a 1.4 if they've got a legendary 1.2? I mean, I just. Didn't see that there was that much difference, but I wanted to know your opinion. I think the the F one four is that compromise where if you're not rich enough, but you're kind of rich, you buy the F one four, and if you're really well off, you buy the F one two, and if you're not so well off, you buy the F one eight. 
Um, <laughs> are the you know are, is the depth of field that much difference between uh, those three? Not significantly so. Uh, you're you can tell yourself how great your lens is all you want, but I, I would say probably the last uh, five or six hundred dollars pays for their only maybe ten percent in gains to twenty percent in gains maximum on those lenses. Yeah. So uh, I, I can't recommend it as a, a good sound purchase for somebody who's trying to be frugal. But uh, if you just want all of the aperture all the time, F1.2 for the win, that's hands down, right? I, I don't know. Yeah. Is that Did an you... elitist answer? I... <laughs> kind of, maybe. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just got this amazing reputation. I mean, you, and, and if you see it, the front element it's so large and gorgeous and that's actually one of the first lenses that i saw on a 5d mark ii somebody had a uh, had the canon uh 85 1.2 on it and i was like holy crap that's a gorgeous looking body with a gorgeous looking lens because it's just so big it's so much glass it's massive i and and i've you know you see photos with that lens on there if, if they're demonstrating because if you put some crappy little tiny lens on there, it's like, oh, who cares? Put, <laughs> put one, two on there. It's like, ooh, that is sexy. Um, did you see the rumor on Canon Rumors the other day of uh, a patent that Canon has just applied for or been approved for for a, a 28 to 560 zoom? What? <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that when I was looking through the show notes. I'm like, uh I think it was 28 to 560 zoom lens. What's the aperture on that? Is it like uh, 4 to f5.6 or something like that? It wasn't specified in the uh, patent. <laughs> it's just like uh, your eyes light up, right? I mean, but it could be a pile of crap. I don't know. But that's, that's one heck of a zoom ring. Well, speaking of zoom range, and I didn't throw this in the show notes, but it's it's something interesting that I was sort of uh, I, I kind of just shrugged off as not really important. Uh, the RX10 Mark III from Sony. I don't know if you remember that announcement a while back. That was sort of a, a you're like, well, really, they just had an RX10 Mark II last year. Now they're having a Mark III. Great, whatever. I don't really care. But what I wasn't paying attention to is that's actually I believe the zoom range is like a 24 to 600 in yeah. body, and. Yeah. The the sample shots I've been seeing from the 600 side are absolutely gorgeous for a one inch sensor. I mean, at, <laughs> when I when I first uh, shrugged it off is not important. I wasn't expecting it to look very good at 600, but for the price, a thousand dollar camera, I mean, that looks really good at 600 I, millimeters. I, I on Facebook the other day, my friend Ron Risman. Uh, who does time lapse all the time uh, posted that he was getting that. And I was like, uh, why would you get that? And he said, uh, range. Duh. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what his results are with that, but he was really excited about grabbing that camera with that lens. Well, and I'm looking right now just to make sure I've got the information correct. It's a uh, 1400 bucks for the RX 10 Mark II. And this right. is, I should have just put this in the show notes because I was, I was sort of thinking about this. And uh, it's a 20 megapixel sensor. So you have plenty of image quality to, to work with as far as stills go. And the zoom range is 24 to 600. 
and that's f two four to four f four. So you know, at the full reach on a crop sensor, you're not getting uh, you're not getting very shallow depth of field, but right. you're getting all of the freaking reach and a twenty megapixel still image. That is significant for people. You know, if you're an animal photographer, you like to shoot birds or something like that, or sports. If you're out in the sun. It doesn't matter if it's F4 and you just want to get the shot from the bleachers and 600. I mean, Mitch, you've seen the monstrous uh, Canon 400, uh, 200 to 400 millimeter L series lens. That thing's like the size of my head. (laughs) And this (laughs) camera is is the size of maybe half of a 70 to 200. So that's a lot of reach in something that's would I, I would call a pocket, almost a pocket camera. Yep. I mean, I, I actually probably need to look into that because, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm looking to extend my, my range. One of the things that I've been doing a lot of is, is I think I've told you that shooting the, the kids in my daughter's color guard and she's moving on to college, <laughs> by the way, she just graduated from high school. Uh, it's it's talk about change in life. Good golly, all your kids graduated or they're out of high school and on to college. And now with that free money, you're on on the road to new lenses. No, 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 no. College, college, ding, ding, ching, ching. Where's my cash register? There. That's that's gonna set it. When four years from now, when she gets out of school, then I'll be just like rolling in dough and spending money like left and right because. My wife and I are going to buy a motor home and tour the country, and so I'll be buying lenses. But anyway, uh, way off topic there. But I, I, I'm, I'm wanting to find something with some additional range because if I'm, I'm going to be shooting uh, the the kids in the band and the color guard, and they're going to be on the field in the fall, and so I'm thinking my 70 to 200 works pretty well but I tend to like to get up close with that. So I might need something. Uh, I saw a guy at the softball game a couple of weeks ago, baseball game, uh, and he had a 300 millimeter that he'd rented from Canon. And I was like lusting over that sucker. Anyway, so if I could get something that's... uh, (laughs) Here's a side-by-side so you can see what kind of weight savings you'll have. Uh, thanks yeah. to whoever DF Watt on Amazon for posting this picture, but uh, that's a that's a significant change in size for that much reach, and it yeah. it sounds like something that would actually fit the bill for you, Mitch. Uh, yeah. Price of a single lens fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah, you should buy it and tell me what you think of it. Well, I'm gonna have to talk to Ron about that because now that he has it, I'm I'm really curious about it. All right, well, we're talking about lenses. Let's move on to a, a series of rebrandings. Um, if you ever pay attention to cheap lenses on eBay, there are num- numerous, numerous companies releasing them under various brand names. Uh, this one is kind of interesting because for a long time, uh, Caxindia, I'm going to call it Caxindia. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly or not, but uh, they have had a series of APS-C uh, Sony lenses available on eBay for prices ranging from uh, maybe a hundred bucks all the way up to five hundred dollars for their twenty-five millimeter f zero point nine five. The lenses themselves have not been critically received as amazing or anything even remotely attractive to most people. Good starter lenses, but uh, now they're uh, getting rebranded, and the new name will be Miki 
And both companies will be selling the same lenses, but one will have a different color outside and a different name on them. Do uh, you think this is a, the next Rokinon, Mitch, moving forward? They're going to have like three different flavors, a Samyung, Rokinon, and a Borrower, I think is the, or Bauer maybe is the third third label for those. How many brands can we slap on a lens? And if it works, uh, I guess it, I guess Rokinon proves that it, it has some value, but uh, I have a couple of questions for you on this. Okay, shoot. Because uh, I'm <laughs> reading through this, and I, 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 maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm just totally clueless here, but I'm confused. Uh, in the in the article that you showed me, it says APS-C camera without an E, equivalent forty millimeter, focus length used on a full frame camera. I'm, I'm sorry, I should have started. 25 millimeter focal length used on APS-C, 40 millimeter focal length used on full frame. I thought they had that backwards, don't they? Uh, let me see. You can create ideal images, 25 millimeter focus length used on APS-C camera equivalent 40 millimeters. So they're saying it, but they're saying it in a, we just translated this using Google Translate. Um, it appears so 25 millimeter is the focal length used on APS-C camera equivalent to 40 millimeters so that that's correct it's a uh, keep, keep reading it says equivalent 40 millimeter focal length used on full frame yeah if if it were on a full frame it would be 40 i, I think that makes sense but that's backwards uh, it, i mean semantics typically i mean if, if we talk about a crop sensor right if i have a 50 millimeter on a crop sensor that really equates to about an 85 millimeter Okay, so that's they're going backwards. Yeah, okay. they're, going, they're doing it. They're just doing I'm it sorry. in a, a sort of weird way. So they're saying it's 25 millimeters is the lens's labeled focal length. On APS-C, it'll be 40, okay. equivalent to was, a full frame. My brain was switched. Okay, right. So it, it makes sense. It's just written very strangely. Uh, yeah. And again, I, I would I would liken that to probably uh, Google Translate because, <laughs> I mean, so, they're just rebranding lenses here. But this is uh, f zero point nine five. Isn't that pretty sexy? Ah, you know, it yeah. is sexy when if you there's a brand called Miticon and they make some very attractive fifty millimeter f zero point nine five lenses that are uh, when you want to talk about blow your mind at how big the glass is. Uh, they are quite large uh, in this particular category. These are not as good. Um, zero point nine five. I would. I would be willing to bet is soft as hell. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's not going to be, you know, you might as well put your head on a pillow because you're, you're getting that much softness out of this. Uh, you probably have to stop these guys down to like F2.8 or so before they even start to get sharp in the center, let alone in the corners. And uh, that's typical of a lot of these uh, newer uh, sort of low-end lenses out there. Um, from what I understand, and I may be incorrect on this, but uh, I'm going to throw it out there anyway. A lot of the lens designs for these came from uh, Soviet designs that were sort of shared in China back and forth. And the lens elements themselves, uh, some of the companies have nicer manufacturing 
plants than others. And so the quality of the glass that comes out of those uh, cutting machines is better depending on who's making it and how much they can afford to spend on the production line. So on these, they are technically F0.95, but if you have imperfect glass shoved into that, uh, you're going to have weird issues uh out of focus it's not gonna be as sharp the coatings they probably don't have the coating technology so uh remember in the 70s mitch when uh, uh light would bounce around in your camera and give you weird uh colorations and flares i don't remember because i wasn't alive but uh i can say that i do have some old radiated fd glass laying around the house that does provide that look and uh I mean, imagine working with technology from that time to make an F0.95 lens and then what you would expect from that as terms of quality. You know, I thought it, I, I forgot about this when we were talking about the um, lens baby. Did you see some of the flaring on that in the in the video demo? Yeah, um, that was a lot of flaring. It's kind of weird, too, because it became circular on the outside yeah. of the image. I, I don't know, if it's typical, but that was weird. Uh, Lens Baby in general is one of those things where I can only think of two or three actual practical things that I would want to do with their lenses. I, I like them. It's a cool idea to be able to do, you know, uh, focus changing and, and uh, bending your lens around and, and getting these circular images. But when are they practical? Like, uh, can you think of anything in particular that you would just scream like, oh, man, if only I could get a 180 degree circular view fisheye of this shot? Now, fish eye doesn't necessarily appeal to me quite at all, but um, we actually used the lens baby um, when I did that short back in 2010, 2011, 2012, whenever that was, uh, on, just for um, the lead-in to the movie, the, you know, the scenes that you have while you're doing rolling the credits or, you know, the titles and title sequence and that kind of stuff. Uh, we wanted a little bit of a different kind of a look. So we had a lens baby and because it gives you the, you know, the fuzzy around the outside and, yeah. and you know, it was, it was a different kind of effect that we were trying to set a particular emotion. Uh, and and how often do you need something like that? Maybe a dream sequence. It would be great for doing dream sequences where you, but you uh, some you know, it's not something that you're going to use. Maybe for a horror film, it would be really great to you know focus in on the blood and you know I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, the circular one, uh, I have used something very similar to that a few times. And uh, that's really handy when you want to simulate that classic look of someone at the door and you're looking through the people. That's pretty much the only thing I can think of for that, that I was like, yes, I need this. Or we had one scene where it was um, was supposed to be a a robot looking at something, but it it only had one optical eye. And so we use that as its point of view. But those are very, very, very specific uses. And there's also, I, I have seen some really interesting shots where uh, someone lays on the ground and they have the entire band or group or whatever surround them. Right. And so you get that sort of like everybody's over you, 180 degree view. But um, for something like that, I would almost prefer to fill the entire uh, image as opposed to just the center. And I would want something like uh, a 16 to 35 or... Right a seven to 14, like I use on my GH four. So yeah. I don't know. And the, uh, 
I got nothing else to say on that. Lens babies, they're they're cool. Spend some money on them if you want. Uh, interesting stuff. All right, last thing before we get out of here, and this is kind of um, kind of just a wow. This looks nice. Let's talk about the GX80 and GX85. Uh, this camera is now out. People are getting their hands on it for war review. I was able to play around with this on the showroom floor at NAB this year, and I was really surprised by how good the optical image stabilization is inside the body on this. And apparently I'm not the only ones. Uh, a lot of the reviewers are really impressed with the image stability and are, are saying that this might even be slightly better than Olympus is offering in huh. the 5DMK222 Mark III, whatever the hell the name is. Keys, <laughs> Olympus, thanks. Uh, Mitch, a small pocket camera like this has most of the power of a GH4, has a few extra features that aren't available in the GH4, and the coveted burst mode on this, you can hold down the button in JPEG and shoot 11 frames per second until you fill up your memory card. Now, are any of those features attractive to you? No. No? <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, if, if, if I were going to do... Um, time-lapse or and that's not even time-lapse no it'd be more like sports or if you wanted to make a lot of motion or um uh, animated gifs you know maybe dance yeah, loop it. yeah but i yeah, but i don't do that the only time I, I i i actually did that recently speaking of my 18th year old graduation uh i i actually used my 5d mark three when i was shooting uh the graduation ceremony and you know when they do the tassel they yeah. move for from from left to right, I shot a burst of, I think, five or six frames and turned that into a GIF, uh, which was kind of cool. But I just don't have that much of a need to do that kind of stuff, I'm afraid. Well, for me, personally, the GX80 or 85, and the reason I keep giving it two numbers is because for some reason, Panasonic has chosen to give it one number in the United States and one number oh. in Europe which is a, a little irritating. And then I, I believe it has yet another label in Japan. It is actually the uh, GX7 Mark II, as opposed to either of the yeah. other names with numbers. So wonderful titling there, guys. Thanks for that one. But the camera itself is nice and small, very petite compared to the GH4. has most of the features. You're missing the internal you know, audio inputs and so on. But otherwise like a great B cam for the GH4 and kind of a clue to what we're going to see in the GH5 whenever that finally hits the market with the image stabilization, the burst mode capabilities, uh, the autofocus system that they've used in this, uh, from what I understand is a little bit more advanced than some of the pre uh, predecessors. It, it It's just really nice to see all those features in a body that will set you back around 600 bucks. And for $750, I believe you can get this with a lens uh the lens of course isn't really a great lens but still <laughs> it's uh pretty decent and mitch you talked about reach man there is nothing better than sticking a 135 millimeter on a micro four thirds body and getting double that in reach out of your shots just something nice. to think about and if you use yeah. the kepin adapter then you get full autofocus control via the body which is also really nice and it's quite fast too which is very attractive this has a appears to have a viewfinder on it as well as an lcd it does 
small body. That's pretty cool. And what I understand, it looks a little, well, to my eye anyway, it looked a little bit nicer than my GH4's uh, viewfinder. The EVF on my GH4, though, has suffered saltwater damage several times. So uh, it's, that may not be a very good comparison. <laughs> slight, slight water damage. Oh, great. It's held up. I was actually filming on the ocean, and uh, I, I was filming someone running down the beach, and I wasn't paying attention to the waves, and a huge wave just came up and engulfed me and my camera as well and my lens and my olympus lens now it's a little it's a, a little crunchy uh the uh, it, you can hear it kind of work a little harder to turn but it still works fine uh the cold shoe on or the hot shoe on my gh4 is growing some kind of weird uh algae thing it's a bloom like a sort of like a calcite growing on it i don't know and that's probably bad uh, so don't i don't use that with a uh a flash head anymore but uh otherwise still holding up pretty good i'll be buying whatever gh5 comes out whenever they announce that because i'm all in on micro four thirds uh speaking of micro four thirds i, I one quick complaint the e1 z cam that i use for this podcast you'll notice the field of view is different today and that's because for some reason it went nuts on my Panasonic 15 millimeter F17 and would not operate at all. It would lock the shutter down to F16 every time I put this on there. And I have no idea what's going on with that. Uh, new firmware update 0.27. So be aware of that, guys. If you're updating your firmware on this camera, it keeps getting better and better. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I was going to say, if, if suddenly your lenses don't work, then is it? Getting better? No, no, it's not. Uh, in fact, I would argue that uh, from firmware version 0.24 to 2.7, they've done nothing but go downhill in terms uh -oh. of usability. So good job, guys. Way to stay with that. So you you praised me at one point for recommending or sharing that Kickstarter with you, and now you're cursing. That's what you're saying. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Uh, what I will say is this has made the finest webcam I have ever owned. It's, it's great as a webcam. As a regular shooting camera, not so much. Um, it's a little expensive as a webcam. Right now I'm shooting with the Olympus uh, 7 to 14 millimeter f2.8. So between body and lens, this is like a 14 or $1,500 <laughs> lens, wow. or, you know, webcam. So that's a little ridiculous. Uh, but Mitch, you can attest it looks pretty good, right? Yeah, it looks great. Yeah. So, I mean, there you go. If you want the top of the line webcam, <laughs> the E1Z cam is probably the one for you. Uh, it does work normally with most of my lenses, but anytime there's a newer lens, like within the last year or so, it gets a little strange, and I'm not 100% sure why. It may be some coding issues, uh, and it didn't used to do that, so I've reported it to them several times, and as a result, they were kind enough to give me a free extra battery to compensate me for my hassle, uh, which you can't buy. You can't buy freaking batteries for this thing, and they haven't announced any way to get new batteries for uh, this yet, so... Uh, I don't know. I, I, they're releasing more cameras, too. They've got three more cameras on the horizon, and they haven't finished cooking their first camera yet. So a big booth at NAB. This yeah, they spent uh, a lot of money at NAB and had a booth yeah, to show off their new cameras. All right, I'm done complaining. I'm sorry. That is not what the show is about. This is about yeah. camera news. Mitch, do you have anything else before I complain my way out of this show? 
let's see. The world's best podcast has gone downhill. Um, <laughs> That's Friday. This, this weekend is a brand new giveaway coming on Planet 5D. Planet 5D. Uh, some cool motion control stuff from Syrup. We had them on three months ago, and people signed up like crazy because they want some of that stuff. So that's coming on Sunday. Keep an eye on that. If, we, if you're watching this later or listening later, uh, planet5d.com slash giveaway is our always our link for our current giveaway. So tag that. But it's not live yet, so wait till Sunday. <laughs> Throw in the show notes, Mitch, and then that way people can get to it. Uh, Syrup makes, if you're not familiar with them, makes those really good motion control sliders uh, that are very great for time lapse and many other things. Uh, very attractive offering. So uh, get yeah. out there and sign up for that. Uh, on that note, guys, you can find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube, anywhere else podcasts are distributed. Thanks, as always, for listening, watching, and however you ingest this podcast. And as always, thanks to Mitch for joining us from planet5d.com. I'm DJ from DSLR Film Noob, and we love having you. So send your comments, complaints, concerns, and requests via whatever channel you prefer. And rate, write, like, and subscribe. We'll see you next time on another episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast.